Yeah, good, good morning, everyone. Morning. Are we all okay? Yeah, good stuff. Um, okay, so uh, last week, Pastor Rick started the series of Colossians. Um, we're taking the whole month looking at the book of Colossians. And last week, um, I think there's a slide. Last week, um, he looked at the supremacy of Christ and uh, went through what, what that means, you know, what that means for us. And when you read Colossians 1, you see there's some like beautiful language. You know, he says, Paul writes and says, the son is the image of the invisible God, you know, that we've been reconciled back to God through his blood. It's beautiful. And this week, we're going to look at Colossians 2 together. Um, and whilst, you know, Colossians 1 is, this is who Jesus is, Uh, Colossians 2, I think, is what this means for me and you. Um, So, yeah, Jesus, we just ask that you might come and speak to us this morning. Um, As we study your word together, I pray that you'd be glorified, God. Amen. Um, And when I was reading Colossians 2, um, and I was asking the Holy Spirit, what what does it mean? What is it all about? I came to this, like, conclusion that I believe Paul is saying that in Jesus, you have everything that you need. In Jesus, you have more than enough. He is sufficient. He is all sufficient. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about living in the all sufficiency of Christ. He is more than enough. In him, you have everything. Apart from him, you have nothing. It is him and him alone. Um, I was thinking this week about how from an early age, you're training children to be independent, aren't you? It's good. That's right. You know, you're training children to eventually not need their parents. Um, Although I think you always need your parents, but you know, um, you're training them to be independent. Have you ever tried to help a child who's trying to do something on their own and they're like, I can do it. (laughs) leave me alone I can do it Um, and you're desperate to help them but they want to be independent and you see that happen all the way through like growing up when a child reaches 11 they're desperate to be 14 because they feel like that's more independent and when they're 14 they're desperate to be 16 because that's really old and independent and then 16 to 18 it just keeps going and going and going until you reach like 30 and then you want to be 25 you know (laughs) Yeah, clearly you all relate to that. (laughs) Um, But there's this growing need to be independent, and that is good and that's right. But the problem comes when we reach kind of adulthood, and it's almost like considered a sign of weakness to ask for help. You know what I mean? Yeah, like the idea of asking for help is like really vulnerable, and nobody really wants to do it. And the truth is, is sometimes we're like that when it comes to God. And we don't want to ask for help when it comes to God. And we try our best to do life on our own without him until we recognize that actually we need him. Mm. Which is why um, when people have like trauma or tragedy and they come to the end of themselves, that's when they have this revelation of who God is. um, When they're brought to the end of themselves. But we can't just wait for those moments to come close to God. You can't just wait for when life goes not so great to come to God. You know, we've got to learn to need him and want him in every season of life. You know, and it's not always easy, is it, to, if we're honest with ourselves, to want Jesus when things are going well, but we've got to come to this place of recognition that every day we need Jesus. We've got to become so needy for Jesus. And so how do we do it? How do we live in the all-sufficiency of Christ? You know, on the good days and the bad days, in every season, mountaintops and the valleys, how do we live in the all-sufficiency of Christ? That's what I want to talk to you about today. Yeah? Cool. Let's carry on then. (laughs) Um, My first point is to live in the all-sufficiency of Christ is to die to ourselves daily. Okay, Um, Colossians 2, if you've got your Bibles, don't be shy. Um, And I'm going to read verse 1 to 4. Colossians 2, verse 1 to 4. It says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea. (laughs) I rehearsed that so many times, you know. 
<laughs> okay, carry on. And for all who have not met me personally, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Did everyone understand what that meant? <laughs> um, Paul's like a poet, isn't he? The way he writes is just beautiful. Um, at the time that Paul was writing to this community of believers, um, there was a lot of heresy and false doctrine going around. And to sum up, people were on this quest for knowledge. People were looking for what was true. And so that's the context of you know, what was going on around the church. And Paul says, um, my goal is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that you might have the full riches of complete understanding, knowing Christ. And he doesn't say, um, you know, sit in an isolated room, think about deep theological truths until you've got the light bulb moment. You know, he doesn't say that. He says, walk out your faith, you know, be encouraged in heart and united in love so that you may gain understanding. And it's almost as if we've got to come to this place where we know that when we live out our Christian walk, that's when we get a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. If we want to know like the full riches of complete understanding which Paul writes about, then we've got to live it out. Like We've got to live out what we believe. And we live it out by faith. We don't know everything, but what we do know, okay, we're choosing to believe and walk in that. And so Paul says, um, be encouraged in heart and united in love. So let's unpack that together. So he says, be encouraged in heart. Um. I've noticed that um, the enemy doesn't target what you do. He targets who you are. He doesn't target what you do. He targets who you are. And I think the reason he does that is because the enemy knows that if the people of God knew their identity and their authority, then they would be unstoppable here on earth. And so the enemy targets our identity and our authority. And one of the ways that he does that is um, through discouragement. Um, it's like a strategy that he has. You know, you might find yourself in a particular um, circumstance. You might be, it might be something to do with family or work. And it feels like a really hard place to be. The enemy will try his best to discourage you to walk away from the very place that God has called you to be in. And when you've got a discouraged heart, if we're not careful, it leads to this uh, sense of disillusionment and an inability to see what is true because we're deeply discouraged. And um, he says, be encouraged in heart because truthfully, the heart is like this real tender place, you know, with God. And it's like the control center of our life. And whatever happens, like in your heart, will eventually find its way to the forefront of your life. Um, that's why it says, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. It also says that the heart is a wellspring of life. And like sometimes you might meet people that speak um, a bit harshly. Well, maybe they've got a bit of anger in their heart. Or maybe someone speaks with cynicism and maybe they've got a bit of doubt in their heart. And in the same way, you know, the Bible says a joyful heart makes the face cheerful. Hey, I can see right now who's got joy in their hearts. <laughs> no, I'm joking. It's not a test. <laughs> but what's happening inside of our lives eventually will find its way to the forefront in how we act, what we say, how we live our lives. And so it's really important that we like, take careful note of what we're allowing into our heart because it does have the power. Whew, that was a big one, wasn't it, Adina? <laughs> it, do, it does have the power um, to dictate how we live our lives. <laughs> Sorry, that was funny. Um, and so how do we do it? How do we keep our hearts encouraged? Um, in John 14, Jesus says this. He says, um, 
Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And one of the ways that we keep our hearts encouraged is by fixing it on the truth of who Jesus is. You know, we complicate just about everything, but if we kept our hearts aligned with Jesus, then we would find that we have this strength and encouragement to get through whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. And Paul doesn't say it to an individual being encouraged in heart. He says it to a community because what happens to you happens to me. You know, the state you find yourself in impacts the state that we find ourselves in. We are a body of believers, so actually we must learn that we need each other to stay encouraged. Uh, be encouraged in heart. And then he says, and be united in love. And this word um, love is actually the word agape. Um, and you know there's like four types of love in the Greek. I won't go through what they are because I can't remember them to be truthful. But <laughs> agape is the highest form of love. And it is for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You know, it's this ultimate act of sacrifice. It's the pursuit of the father for his children. It is the highest form of love. And that is the love that Paul is asking us to be united in united in the highest form of love. Um, at the start of the year, um, I like to ask Jesus if he's got a word for the year. Do you know what I mean? Last year it was faith. And so I was like asking God, but this time I didn't ask for a word. I just asked, I said a specific prayer. I said, God, would you teach me how to love? Anyone that's been a Christian a long time will know that it's quite a dangerous prayer because you know like when you ask God teach me to be patient and then everyone's testing your patience oh, what's that about um yeah so I was like God teach me how to love and then there was like one week in January I mean we're only in February but there was one week in January I must have been a nightmare to work with because I was like hypersensitive I just found it was really hard to be a nice person. <laughs> uh, anyone else find that from time to time? <laughs> um, vulnerability is key, amen, Rebecca. Um, but I just found that I was just struggling, you know, I was a little bit miserable. Um, to the point where, because um, if you don't know this, I've actually got myself a boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, <laughs> Um, he's lovely, um, but that was, that was an answer to prayer, you know, um, I was waiting for a specific type of person, I wasn't going to settle for anything less than what God had promised me, yeah, and um, amen, yeah, and he came through for me, so yeah, he's lovely, um, he's a plumber, so if you need any plumbing issues, <laughs> sweating, I'm sweating, Stick to the script. And um, going, I don't know how to jump back into what I was saying, but <laughs> segue back. Um, back to me being a horrible person that week in January. <laughs> uh, to the point where Ciprian turned to me and said, um, are you having a day off today? And I said, a day off from what? And he said, from being nice and kind. <laughs> Oh, it's quality. Um, but that should really demonstrate just what a foul mood I was in. And after that, you know, I said to Jesus, I was like, why is this so hard? Like, why is it so hard? And I realized that I prayed that prayer, you know, teach me how to love. And I think sometimes we deceive ourselves into thinking that loving people is easy. And it is not. And I know it's not, because when you look at Jesus on the cross, you cannot tell me that was easy. And that was the highest form of love. And that's the love that we're called to live in. And that was not easy. It was costly. You know, it's, like I said earlier, it is quite simple. We complicate just about everything. But Jesus really loves his people, and he's called us to live in that too, to love one another the way Christ loves us. But that love is costly. And maybe we don't always want to talk about that or we don't want to hear that. But if we're to love the way that Christ has called us to love, then it requires dying to ourselves. 
And that means, you know, maybe not um, getting what you want all the time. <gasps> Gasp. You know, it, it means keeping no record of wrongs. Ripping up that list that you've made in your head. Well, that person wronged me two years ago. Oh, let it go. <laughs> let it go. You know, let it go. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> um, loving like that requires keeping no record of wrongs, you know. And it is costly. And that is the love that Paul writes that we must be united in. That sort of love. Sacrificial love. And the truth is, is that we can't do that on our own. You know, you're a nice person, but you're not that nice, you know. It's hard to love like that by human effort alone. You could have a good go. But it is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life that enables us to love the way that Jesus has called us to love. You know, I was just thinking then, um, I've, I've been here for like five years, something like that, and... Over the course of those years, the amount of times I've heard people pray that people might look at us and say, wow, look at how they love. So many times throughout the years I've heard people pray that people might look at us and say, look at how they love. If we really knew what we were saying, that requires each and every one of us dying to ourselves daily for the sake of other people, for the sake of demonstrating the power of Christ. And when Paul says, be encouraged in heart and united in love, he's saying that when you walk that out, that's when you discover more of who Jesus is for you. It's when you actively live in the reality of the power of his love. That's when you know the depths of what he's done for you. And if we're serious about that, you know, that people might look at the church and say, wow, look at how they love, then that requires some crazy demonstration of what love is. It's daily dying to ourselves, sacrificing, putting our wants and needs to one side. Um, and that's how we've been called to live. Okay, second point. Um, how to live in the all-sufficiency of Christ. We've got to submit to his lordship. And let's carry on reading verse 6 to 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, sorry, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Um, you know, it's easy to jump to the um, whole rooted and built up part. But before we get there, Paul says, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. And we've got to learn to submit to his lordship. Only then do we truly understand his all sufficiency. We live in this world that's like, do what makes you happy. Be whatever you want to be. And um, I've also noticed that, I don't know if it's particularly in my generation, but there's like this desire to live independent of anyone else, this desire to be your own boss. Um, that's all what's going on in, in society, you know. Um, but when you look at what that is, what you see is that it's actually just a cry for freedom. You know, be whatever you want to be is a cry for freedom. Do what makes you happy is a cry for freedom. And this desire to be independent and be your own boss, whatever that is, you know, that is a cry for freedom. But real freedom is only found in submission to the Lordship of Christ. It's only found when we surrender everything and come under his Lordship. And the things that prevent us from surrendering to his Lordship is our need to control just about everything. You know, and it is, we're all the same, aren't we? We like to control our finances um, and we fail to see that our finances were a gift from God in the first place, you know. We try to control um, maybe our children. They're not even children anymore, you know. They might be 18 and we're still trying to control them, you know. Our family, um, our workplace, all of these areas of life, we like to have control. And all of that is just birthed out of fear, 
you know, we're afraid that if we let go of this, who's going to take care of it? You know, if I let go of this, who's going to take care of it? We all like to be in control. And, um, you know, it was nice to hear Chanda and Rebecca share about the weekend away. And that was only the second time that I'd done um, a weekend away for young adults. Usually, if I'm doing retreats and stuff, it's for young people. And when it comes to young people, you have to be so... Like, you have to set clear boundaries and restrictions, you know? Because they will try push boundaries. And sometimes they succeed, you know? They really do try. And so when it's like youth things, you set really clear, don't do this, do that, you know, be in bed at this time. Whereas when it came to young adults, I didn't know what to do, you know? I was like, do I set a curfew? I don't know. And I did. Did they stick to it? No. <laughs> Um, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know how to do it. Um, during the meetings, you know, whenever there was a, a silence or a gap, you know, I'm always tempted to, hello, <laughs> jump in. <laughs> um, and I, I didn't know what to do. So um, that night as I was going to sleep, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, um, relinquish control, relinquish control. And I knew it was the Holy Spirit because I had to Google the next day what relinquish meant. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm so clever. <laughs> um, but he was saying to me, like, let go of control, let go. And I found throughout the whole weekend, if I'm being honest, the whole weekend, I had to constantly remind myself, let go of control, let go of control. You know, they didn't go to bed at the right time, but let go of control, <laughs> let go of control. And as I did that, actually, God moved in power. You know, his presence was tangible. On that first like morning meeting, he walked into the room and there was such a tangible sense of God's presence. You know, and the thing is, is that maybe he's waiting for us to let go a little bit, you know. <laughs> it's like we set, set these parameters around our lives um, and maybe the Holy Spirit is inviting us to let go of those things. Because what he's got for us far exceeds our like wildest imagination of what our lives could be. He's got something far greater. And in order to really let go of our need to control everything, we've got to believe that God is good. Because if we believe that he is good, then submitting to his lordship would become a whole lot easier. Um throughout my life whenever I've had whenever I've like struggled to do something I'd say to my dad I need your help dad I need your help and he'd say this to me he'd say leave it with me and whenever he said leave it with me oh I cannot describe the sense of relief I felt <laughs> leave it with me there was such a peace and a freedom because I know my dad's a good man and he wants to do what is right for me if that's my earthly dad, how much more does our heavenly father want to take good care of us, you know? The Bible says that he withholds no good thing from those whose walk is blameless. He is a good God. You can trust him. He's a good God. And what he's got for you is good. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And if we we're able to stand on the goodness of God, submitting to his lordship would be easy. Freedom is found in submission to Christ. And it doesn't make sense to the world, you know. The world would look at that and think you're wrong. But actually, the Bible says, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And so we've got to relinquish control, let go of it. And allow the Holy Spirit to come and to lead us beyond the parameters of our life. And that requires depending on Jesus so that we might let go of the need to control things. We might let go of fear and rely wholeheartedly on his goodness towards us. He's a good God, you know. You can trust him. And when you get to that point, you know, Paul says, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. And this idea of being rooted is like, gives the picture of um, a tree, doesn't it, planted. Um, and when you're rooted, you're connected direct to the source of who Jesus is. 
you know, and you become immovable because you're connected to Jesus. It doesn't matter what happens, you're connected to Jesus. You're rooted, you're going deeper and deeper in his presence and his, in his word. And then he says, and be built up. And the thing about it is when you go deeper in God, he takes you higher. Like the deeper in his word, the deeper in his presence, the more elevated that you find your life has become. And the things that he has for us far exceed our imagination. And so why don't we just choose to let go of the need to control and submit to his lordship. And thirdly, um, to live in the all-sufficiency of Christ, we've got to rely on the finished work of the cross. Let's read verse 13 and 15 together. It says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. To humanity, the cross looked like weakness. But here we're reminded that it was the cross that disarmed the powers and authorities. The cross was a sign of victory and triumph. Um, around the time that Paul was writing this letter to the church, there was a lot of heresy, that, um, this thought that people had to acquire salvation and they had to acquire it through like a special kind of knowledge. And so Paul is writing to say that whilst you were dead in your sins, Christ came and set us free. And this is available to everyone who believes in him. I thought that was good news, but maybe not. Um, the cross has given access for broken people to meet with a perfect father, and that is available to me and you today. And when you realize who you were before Christ died, it actually, what you see is that you were in desperate need of a savior. In Genesis, it says, um, God says to Adam and Eve, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil or you will die. So we were all in this state of death, you know, separated from God. Everyone was in need of a savior. That's why Jesus came. And Paul goes on to write um, about living by not under human rules. He says in verse 20, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. He says that these rules have to do with things that are all destined to perish. And the truth is, is that whilst we might know that actually Jesus has died for every sin of my past, present and future, we have to let that go from head knowledge to heart knowledge. And sometimes it doesn't always make that journey because actually sometimes we find that we're striving to please God, aren't we? You know, we're thinking if I do this, then God would be pleased with me. If I do this, then God would be proud of me. But the truth is, is that when you look at the cross, you see that he is already pleased with you. You cannot add to it or take away from it. When Jesus died, he died for every sin of your past, present and future. And right now you stand before God as holy, pure and blameless. Not because of your good works, because they're not that good. You know, it's because of the finished work of Jesus. When he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And we need to learn to rely on the finished work of the cross. Not submit to human rules and laws and not allow ourselves to be caught up in religion. None of that counts. Jesus has paid the ultimate price that we might be free. So we need to start living like we're free. And real freedom is found in submission to Jesus. So today, to live in the all-sufficiency of Christ, we need to die to ourselves daily. 
You know, we need to let go of the needs and wants of our own lives and choose to live in the love that he called us to. We need to submit to his lordship, surrender our need to control every area of our life and instead trust in the goodness of God. And we need to rely on the finished work of the cross because when Jesus died, he said, it is finished and he meant it. You can't add from it, you can't take away, it is finished. Why don't we pray together? Yeah, Jesus, um, thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you, Jesus, that we get to live in the all-sufficiency of Christ. And God, if we get to live in that place, why would we want to live outside of it, you know? Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Um, If anyone here has not responded to the gospel before, um, just whilst everyone's got their eyes closed, um, if you're maybe interested in in who Jesus is and what it means for you, um, if you just want to commit your life to him and say yes to him, then just whilst everyone's got their eyes closed, I just want to encourage you to put your hand in the air just so he can um, see you and pray with you. But if you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time, um, just encourage you to do that now. Yeah, thank you, Jesus, that you're at work within us. Thank you that you're at work within us. And right now, Jesus, we let go of this need to control. We recognize, Jesus, that that's how we've been living our lives, and we relinquish it. We let go of control right now, Jesus. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and take us beyond the parameters of our life. And when we've been striving to please you, Jesus, when we've been striving to make you proud of us, we let go of that and we surrender to the finished work of the cross. And we recognize, Jesus, that we are free, that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. One of the biggest problems we have as people is we think we're good. Fundamentally, we believe that we're good people. We, given the right circumstances, might act according to that. But the Bible says the opposite. Paul uses this phrase here, you were dead in your transgressions, bound to your sin. And, and what he's trying to remind us is that we're not good. And so let's stop pretending that we're good because we're not good. And I know that's countercultural because everywhere you go, people say, oh, you're just a good person. You just had a hard life, you know. And, and the problem with that message is that we never come to the realization that we need someone to rescue us from the fact that we're not good. And so, I want to tell you today, I'm sorry to be the bearer of some truth or bad news, depending on what frame of mind you're in. Left to your own devices, you're not good at all. You're selfish. You're self-serving. You really don't care who you stand on to get where you want to go. You manipulate people. You lie. You steal. You rob. If not in acts, certainly internally. You're judgmental. You've got an opinion on everybody. But you don't want anyone to have an opinion on you except that you're good. And the reason I'm highlighting that to you is because there is no need for a savior unless you recognize you're a sinner. And the Bible clearly puts it this way about all of us in this room. In fact, everyone in the world. It says all have sinned. In other words, stop fooling yourself that you're good. All have sinned, and listen to the second part of that statement, and fallen short. 
In other words, however good you think you are, or however you've tried to be a better person, it is not enough. It will never be enough. And Jesus came because you can't fix your problem. Jesus came to resolve it once and for all. And he came for sinners. So if you think you're good, you don't need him. But I'm telling you, you're lying to yourself because left to your own devices, you're not that great at all. So we have a problem here. Well, if we let it be a problem, it's a problem, but actually it's an invitation. What are you gonna do about not being good? Try harder? God help us, have we not all done that to death? Have we not all tried harder? I don't know how many times I've tried dieting. God help me. I know everything about dieting. Just never quite got to. You can know a lot of good things about trying hard. You can get self-help books and talk to people and have counseling and all of those things. But how can a dead person bring themselves back to life? You were dead in your transgressions. There's a death that comes upon humanity through repetitive sin and activity. And it's a death that was fashioned in us as a result of the separation that happened to us when Adam went outside of the purposes of God and did in his own mind what he thought was good. But it turned out to be really bad. Now, we don't preach the gospel like this because we're all nice people trying to live nice lives. But unless we actually tell the truth, we can never truly be set free. And the truth is, you, like me, without Jesus, have no hope whatsoever of being good. I've been to bookshops. The biggest category in most bookshops these days is self-help books, trying to be better people. We want to be thinner, we want to be taller, we want to be cleverer. Jesus came because you can't change yourself. Jesus came because the fundamental problem was that the relationship you should have had with God was severed by sin. Jesus died on a cross horrifically, horrifically, publicly, basting in the midday sun with humility so that you could come to God gloriously and say, I'm a sinner. I need you, Jesus, to save me. So when Paul's addressing the church here, he's talking about that fact. You were dead in your transgressions. But Jesus, when you accepted him, has made you alive. 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 Alive in Christ and alive with Christ and eternally alive forevermore to rule and reign with Christ. You're telling me you can do that for yourself? You're telling me a book from W.H. Smith's can cause that to happen? Jesus is the answer to your problem and mine. You need a savior and the only way to be saved is to call on the name of Jesus and ask the God who created you through the power of the blood of his son to cleanse you and forgive you. Now we've got another problem because some of us don't want to admit that we're sinners and others think we're saints. And I love saints because they are as foolish as sinners sometimes because they think because they come to church and say the right thing and do the right thing and act in the right way that that's the whole thing with God. There's nothing you can do that can add to what Jesus Christ has already done. And you can be in every meeting and pray every prayer and know every Bible verse off pat, and I know people like that, but you can't add to what Jesus has done. All we have to do is accept. We just accept, and it's really uncomfortable because as human beings, we think we should do something. We need to do something. Christ is your all-sufficiency. You can't take away from it, and you can't add to it. He's the only one who has restored you to relationship with God. All you've got 
is to accept it. Religion will never get you closer to Jesus. In fact, it would fool you into thinking you are. But your heart will be dull to the reality of his presence and his grace. When I first became a Christian, everybody wanted me to feel really bad about the way I'd lived my life. Well, you know, I didn't. I'm not being arrogant, not because I didn't do bad stuff, but I had met the good God who saved me. I discovered that Jesus loved me. I let him cleanse me and heal me and restore me. That was a good thing to do. The church wanted me to be guilty about what I've done. Wanted me to feel bad about what I've done. How could I feel bad when the perfect one shed his blood and died on a cross for this imperfect person? It's good news. It's great news, in fact. So as we close, which we're going to in a minute, I want to ask you a question. Is Christ enough? Is he enough to blot out all of the stuff that you try to hide? Is he big enough, powerful enough to restore you to the relationship you were supposed to have with God before you did it your own way and pretended to yourself you were good? Is Christ enough so you can live in the reality of that forgiveness and stop trying to be something for God? Let God be who he is for you. Because you can't make it to God by doing good things. It's because we were sinners that Jesus Christ made it to earth. So that the one thing that really matters to God the most about everything is that none should perish, but all could come to know God for themselves. So, I'm going to ask again, is there anyone here today who wants to stop faking it, hoping they'll make it. And lift their heart before God and say, I am, I'm not good. <laughs> and while the world may think it's okay for me to act and behave in certain ways, in my heart of hearts, I know I need saving. Where is that person in this room? Lift your hand for me, over here. Anyone else? Here in the middle, anyone else? Lord Jesus, without you, we're dead. We have nothing. Nothing that turns it all around anyway. But you loved us so much that you came into our world. You showed up in this broken planet. And you died. You died a horrific death, Jesus so that no one on this earth would have to live separated from God, pretending to themselves that they're good, but knowing the truth that's different. And Lord, I ask you today to save people from that. Save us from being self-saviors. Save us, God, from pretending we don't need salvation. Save us, God, from hiding who we truly are because we think the world would never want us because you came for us, Jesus. You came looking for us, Jesus. In our mess, you came searching for us, Jesus. While we were still yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And so, God, I want to embrace that truth. And I believe that if I embrace that truth, you will save me. You will heal me. You will restore me. And, Lord, I pray for those who put their hand up today that you would do just that. Like you did for me 30 years ago or 36 years ago, you would come, Lord, in your goodness and you would transform their lives. And for the religious ones here who think that we have to add something to what you've done, help us, Jesus, to let go of that nonsense. I can't build a bridge to you by spiritual activity. All I can do is yield and ask you to come to me, Jesus because you're the one who's the searcher here. You're the one who's the seeker. And Lord, I pray that you would bless those who are honest enough to know that they can't, they can't build something because unless the Lord builds their house, they're just laboring in vain. And now, Lord, as we stand together, let's do that, church.
we go out with this truth ringing in our ears. Christ is enough for me. Why don't you just say that out loud? Christ is enough for me. He's enough to cover my sin. Christ is enough to restore my relationship with God the Father. Christ is more than sufficient for me. And I don't have to do religious things to please God. Christ pleases God. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. stand before you today and recognize that I am a sinner. <laughs> Everything in me wants to do what pleases me. Everything in my body wants self-gratification. I want my way, God. I want it done the way I want it done. And I want other people to value me because I'm strong or courageous or ambitious. But when you look upon me, God, you see sin. You see a man who's been separated by sin. And the reason I have to make it happen for myself is I have no one else to rely upon. But you, Jesus, you came to restore that which was broken. And you laid down your life so that my life could start afresh. You came for me, the sinner, Lord. And without recognizing I'm a sinner, I don't need you as my Savior. And Paul says, all have sinned. We were dead in our transgressions. Let's own that. But then Jesus came. But then Jesus came. But then Jesus came for you. Jesus came looking for you. Jesus came to find you. Someone say hallelujah. And if you've been found by him, if you've been found by him, don't try and add anything to that salvation. Christ is enough. Enjoy the grace and the mercy, the compassion and the goodness of God. Don't get religious on Him, thinking that you can buy Him by good works. Let His good work transform you from the inside out. And that's the only way we are changed, through Him, because of Him. Lord, I pray today that the gospel that we're preaching, which may not fit with the sensitivities of our culture, but it is indeed the truth, will land in hearts and lives. Set the religious free. Set the sinner free, I pray. For it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. No longer to be subject to any yoke, whether slavery or religion. Any yoke, slavery or religion, Lord, set captives free today, Lord.
And as we go out from this place, Jesus, I pray we would enjoy you because you love to be enjoyed, Jesus. Not enjoyed, not put up with, enjoyed. And as we enjoy you, Lord, we'll start to understand that you enjoy us. And this love relationship that you want with us, Lord, has already been secured in Jesus. And why would I live outside of that when it's everything I've been searching for in all the wrong places for the longest of time? Christ is enough for me. Now, Father, let your goodness, your mercy, your kindness, your greatness, your power, your faithfulness reside and preside over every part of our relationship with you, whether we're coming to it for the first time or we're hearing this for the 9,000th time. We ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful week. Christ is enough. Christ is enough.